0: Welcome to Agme Podcast Incorporated, everybody. I'm your host? Question mark. I guess. Bum, 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 bum. Laz- Lazer's not here this week uh, for reasons that uh, he will reveal uh, later during the mid roll. Uh, I'm your co—I'm I'm your usual co-host, Kai. Uh, but now I'm your host for the foreseeable future, uh, and I'm joined by. Uh, my current co-host for this episode, Scarlet. Hello, wonderful world, how are we all doing today? Yeah, hasn't been that long since the last time you were on, huh? Uh, about a month, I think? Yeah, about a month, because you were on, I came on for Shrek, and then... Um, She-Roth, which was the middle of June. Yeah, which was so, yeah, the episode, yeah, the episode before last. Yeah.
1: But
0: Adrian was on the last one, so... Scarlet, we I don't here listen to first.
1: my own episodes. I don't like to toot my own horn.
0: I mean, I unfortunately uh, am cursed to have to listen back to my own voice. You know, that's how it be. <laughs> it's a lovely voice. Thank you. But anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, for Again, for the foreseeable future, uh, Laser will Reveal again, some stuff during the mid-roll, but all I will say is that for now, in the short term, I will be the main host of the podcast with a rotating door of guests for the, for the foreseeable uh, short term. Uh, so the show's format may change. Uh, things may be different for obvious reasons. For example, because of the nature of the rotating door of guests, we may only do one thing a week. Uh like one sh- if we do a show, it might just be the one show. Uh and you know, that sort of thing. Uh also upkeep will probably no longer be a thing because the upkeep was mainly for laser and I to talk about the things we were both watching. So I mean not to but the, to be fair, we hadn't done the upkeep for a while anyway because everything we were watching was on hiatus. <laughs>
1: We're over. Yeah. Just that
0: time of year. It's a time of year. Unfortunately, we, I I have to wait till the fall for everything I'm watching to come back. Spy family. Potty P. Kome. Fucking. Uh, Owl House. Owl House. JoJo Part 6 is finally coming back. So, you know, it only took us a fucking, like, almost a year to get back to JoJo. But who's counting? Damn you, Netflix, Joe! Curse you, Netflix! But Scarlet's here.
1: Hello. Be- I'm sure I'll be back again soon.
0: Yeah, you will be. Um, Scarlet, just like how you've noticed, many of my friends, um, not just Laser, many of my friends have a lot of opinions about animated things. yeah or better. It's good. Yeah, animated things are good. For better or for worse, we have a lot of opinions about animated things. Uh but this week, uh, we're talking about one of Scarlet's favorite things, uh, and one of my favorite things, uh, Critical Role. Or more more mm, precisely, we're talking about the animated series, uh, The Legend of Fox Machina.
1: Good lord, if we were talking about the critical the entirety of Vox Machina—that's a podcast unto itself. Well, I mean, I there's its
0: own whole thing. Well, I mean, there is one, right? Fucking the the post-game podcast at the end of every yeah, episode. Vox Machina. Yeah, sadly, no
1: longer a thing, but for with foresight to die. But
2: yeah,
0: I mean, some like one of the
1: many many casualties of the pandemic
0: media. Yeah, I mean, you know, c'est la vie. Uh, but it's it's the same thing. You know, it's just, hey, we're going to get the cat, some of the cast together to talk about the episode that just aired. So, I mean, hey, the vibe is there. That's all that matters.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And talks Machina in and of itself was, like, fucking really long.
1: Yeah, they tended to be about an hour each. Yeah, like an Maybe hour and a half.
0: I've, I've listened, like, I usually listen to the ones that are, like, where something really major happens in the story when it comes to Makina And or a, a moment that I really want the, them to... I want to hear their opinions on. Uh, like, for example, I'm... Very recently... Uh, I got to the... They're still in the arc where I am. I'm currently, by the way, for those who don't know. I've never seen Campaign 1. I am watch, I am in the middle of watching Campaign 2. And just as a fair warning before we really get deep in the paint on this, this entire podcast will not only be spoilers for Legend of Vox Machina, but will more than likely contain spoilers for Campaign 1, Campaign 2, and possibly Campaign 3 of Crit Roll.
1: Minor, minor, minor,
0: minor. Very for, my, but for those who are uh, very adverse to spoilers of any kind, this is your warning before we get in deep into the paint. Uh, but anyway, what I was going to say was is I'm in the middle of watching Pearl Campaign 2. Uh, and they are still in Jorhas because I know that's sort of like an entire arc of the Xhorhas. Uh, Same with, like, when they were on the pirate ship. Uh, and they... I just got to that... Not just got to, but one of the last episodes I watched was that scene where um, Caleb turns the, the fucking the demon into a giant snapping turtle uh that disaster i and uh, when ford was still like had fear of the of the thing even though it was polymorph he was like pushed up against a wall by a giant snapping turtle and him not
1: was uh, that was a disaster but that just ended up being a disaster and a half
0: it was hilarious Oh, hilarious! Absolutely, like especially like the scene where like not does it... falls a Scooby Doo and leaps in a Ford's lap, and they're both just like looking at this turtle and going, "Ah, fucking <laughs> okay. good Lord Almighty!" Um, but that being said, um, like I said, uh, no upkeep, and again, there will be no upkeep for the foreseeable future. However. Weeks are still a thing. Scarlet, you're the guest. What have you been up to mm-hmm. since the last time we saw you?
1: Um, let's see, what have I been up to? Mostly Arknights recently, now that they have added in a roguelike mode into their game, which is highly addicting. Doesn't cost any of the like the limited operating um currency that, you know, free to play games always have to keep you invested. Hmm uh i'm horrible at it i've only gone past like the first boss once without even managing to kill it um because you you have enough left life points right like it's all based on like like life points mm-hmm. um so like you know you can let an enemy get by and still man- manage to clear a level right and uh i'm really bad at it and it's not really something that you can really just go out and get a guide to because it's all randomized
0: yeah, that's the the thing with roguelikes or rogue. roguelite. It's. Video game tags are stupid, but anyway. Video game tags are stupid. They're just for the ease of conversation. Um, like, what is a soul like, really? What is a. Like, it's. Like, our, how our Metroidvania is like. Yeah. Uh, it's silly, but anyway, sorry.
1: Um. Uh. Yeah. Not much. I haven't been up to much. Yourself.
0: Oh. Uh, fuck. Well. So I finished the Golden Age arc of Berserk. Uh. Oh. Oh, One boy. of these days,
1: I will get around to reading Berserk.
0: B- Berserk is really, really good, but also like, I, I, for after I got done with the Golden Age, I was like, I need to like, I need to sit down, and just I need a moment. Like, I I need a week to to just process everything that just happened because the golden the end of the golden age is the um if you know anything about berserk you know about the eclipse like the end of the golden age is the eclipse and so much shit fucking happens in the eclipse jesus christ <laughs> and i want to say this about berserk um that there are some things that my my pre I had a preconception about berserk for a long time. And some of my preconceptions were true. Like or correct rather. Berserk is violent. Berserk is bloody. Berserk is gory and berserk is fucked up. Uh there are lots of really, really fucked up things that happen in Berserk. It it is not for the faint of heart. One thing that I was uh, uh, wrong about in my preconceptions of Berserk was that Berserk had no substance beyond it being a dark fantasy and being brutal and gory and dark. It's not, not, just,
1: yeah. it's not just it's not just grimdark for grimdark's sake there's actually a point
0: to it. There is actually a point to berserk being fucked up. Now, don't yeah. get it twisted. It's I'm so fucked up. it's so fucked up. I am I'm also don't get it twisted. People who may have only listened to this podcast and just not know me personally may be under the impression that I don't like things that are violent and gory. That is not true. <laughs> Not true at all. I love doom. I fucking love horror movies, gory, bloody horror movies, but it's sort of like, how do I want to word this? The things that make you
1: feel bad for the sake of making you feel bad exactly like I I,
0: I when I'm going into something like doom or I'm going into something into a horror movie, I'm going there for something very specific. I'm going there because I'm here for the, the gore and the spectacle of it all. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with a piece of media that is gory and has no substance. Like, I love it. I do love some of that stuff. However, Berserk isn't just blood and gore. There's also just, like, rape and... Lots of other terrible things that happen with berserk that I'm just like, you gotta get me you gotta give me more than just big man swing sword good and cut guys in half to keep me reading something like that and and berserk delivers uh, berserk on its sur- on its face appears to be a gritty brutal dark fantasy uh with lots of violence, death, gore, and nothing beyond that. But when you the more you read Berserk, the more you realize how much it is really about humans trying to survive in a world that is so unbelievably unfathomable, dark. And unforgiving, and trying to find each other, find meaning in their life, and hold on to the very few flickers and embers of light that they can find in a terrible, unforgiving world. Uh, Berserk is not... Um, how do I want to say this? Zerg is not for the faint of heart in that sense either. It deals with a lot of heavy, heavy things, like in a not just like from the brutal perspective, but also like it does actually address a lot of its like more twisted aspects. Like, for example, without giving too much away um, and spoiling it for anybody, and. Sp- By the way, warning for anybody who uh, before I get into this. Guts... uh, Early on, we see Guts' backstory. And one of the first things we see in Guts' backstory... Is that as a young man, he is raped. And that sticks with him for his entire life. And it's really subtle... And you, unless you really think about it. After that happened, like Guts is assaulted, and then Fraser reaches for his sword but can't. And then, from then on, Guts forever sleeps with his back to a wall and with his sword. It is never away from him, and he clutches it like a security blanket. Because when he's away from his sword, bad things happen and thus guts not only grows that attachment to his sword but it's the thing that gives him his food it's the thing it's the way he earns his life and then he realizes that he has hadn't ever no had no meaning in his life other than fighting and he really only knows how to swing a sword and that's and all of that is like very seriously examined and addressed like and in fact there's a scene where when Guts finally gets to be intimate with somebody for the first time he can't because he is so traumatized by what happened to him as a child and they really actually get into that and how it's okay for him to not be comfortable and be vulnerable for the first time in his life. Uh, but to say any more about why... any more beyond that would be to spoil what makes the B- Berserk so good. But I'll just say the that thing. And, and that... And it's not just him, it's like other characters too. Where it's a very strongly character-driven and... um nuance story about people's desires wants dreams and uh finding each other spoiler alert berserk is good who would have guessed
1: <laughs> there's a reason it's been like the predominant dark fantasy manga for what 40 years almost and yeah. has influenced pretty much any character who uses a great sword ever Mhm basically if you use a great sword you probably draw inspiration from berserk on some level. Yeah. I'm looking at you Dark Knight in Final Fantasy XIV
0: I'm looking at you Cloud. Or fucking um if you are a dark fantasy video game franchise and you uh really really like berserk you may or may not constantly put guts' sword in every game you make,
1: yeah, from
0: soft Miyazaki has such a hard on for berserk, it's not even funny,
1: I mean, I feel he's
0: right too, no, he's right, he's correct, and at this point, it's just fun, it is
1: like there becomes a point where it just becomes expected that you have to do it,
0: mm-hmm. And and then like there's like other stuff like the dark sign is like the brand from Berserk, and then like Artorias is just guts. He's just the black swordsman, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. And then you really see how Berserk has influenced other uh, fantasy manga and anime, for better or for worse. Some of them understand what berserk was really about, but some of them only seem to hold on to the surface level content. Uh for example, Goblin Slayer seems to only really hold on to the surface level content of Berserk. Yeah. That's and, and that was sort of my under my false understanding of Berserk was that it was just that. Because Yeah, what
1: you thought what you thought B- Berserk Was, is actually just what Goblin Slayer is.
0: Yeah. What Goblin Slayer is, or fucking, um... I know there's another, like, fucked-up dark fantasy thing that I'm... Anime that I'm forgetting that... Oh,
1: absolutely.
0: You know, whatever, whatever. It's just that Goblin Slayer is the most recent example.
1: It's like whenever somebody takes, like, you know, say Superman, and makes him, like, edgy... And stuff without understanding what makes Superman works.
0: Mm-hmm. There's nothing inherently wrong with um, making a "quote unquote" what if Superman was evil" character, but also, you know, kind of been done to death at this point.
1: Kind of been done to death. You're not going to get. There's a lot that are out there that are really good, and you're not going to do many, much better than that.
0: Yeah, like. And then now they're having a resurgence because their comics are being adapted. Yeah. A.K.A. The Boys and uh, Invincible, who are the biggest... Invincible? Hmm?
1: I'm going to slightly disagree with you on Invincible. Mm. Invincible is not if Superman is evil. Invincible is, what if Superman's father was evil?
0: Hmm. Well, what if the
1: equivalent of Superman was evil? Uh, the main character is more the equivalent of Superman overall than uh, it's complicated I guess but mm-hmm. it's more of a story of what if Geralt was an evil asshole who mm-hmm. wanted to, whose goal was to conquer rather than um, save his son
0: mm-hmm.
1: that, that, that's, that's kind of my feeling on it and I yeah. will say I take that opinion pretty much directly from overly sarcastic
0: productions and they're right Oh yeah, didn't, didn't they do a video on deconstructing Superman not that long ago?
1: Yeah, about two month, two weeks ago.
0: Yeah. I haven't watched their videos in a while. I should. They I like videos. overly sarcastic productions. Um...
1: Go watch overly sarcastic productions. Increase y- your viewership if we have anything to say about
0: it. Go watch overly sarcastic productions. Specifically, go watch their abridged retelling of Journey to the West.
1: Everybody sends that to KP
0: Because it's it's good
1: It is good And we all know KP loves Journey to the West
0: Yeah Uh Fucking um Every time I just hear Last time on Journey to the West
2: <laughs>
0: Love that shit It's just The, the logo says Journey to the West Kai Very good and it's not helped by the fact that, like, you know, in uh, another series we're probably eventually going to talk about Monkey Kid, Sun Wukong is voiced by Goku, Sean Schemmel. They knew what they were doing.
1: They knew what... They absolutely knew what they were doing.
0: They knew exactly what the people wanted. Alright, so... uh, so There's Berserk, uh, which... That was a, a, a lot of Berserk. I've read over a hundred chapters of Berserk now. So I'm probably going to step away from it for a minute. And then get back to it. Because it's like, hey, I finished the first large arc of it. So it feels like a good stopping point for a minute. Um, don't know. what I'll I don't know what I'll read that next. Because One Piece is on break. Uh, it
1: comes back this week, actually.
0: Oh, yeah. It does come back this week. Huh. What's the over-under in Yamato actually joining the crew?
1: I'm 50-50 on it. Yeah. I can see him joining. Mm-hmm. Um, I can also see him going off to do his own thing. Right. Um, but, yeah. If, if we're, as Otis says, entering into this last arc... Well, here we
0: fucking go. It's not the last
1: arc.
0: Yeah, it is. It's the last saga. Statement recently. It's the last saga.
1: Well, uh, I don't know if saga is what they use or if that's just a fan term. It's
0: like trans. because saga is like how the punk hazard to now is the Yonko saga. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, um, the Alabasta but- saga. The, the next... official
1: Shonen Jump tweeted out like a translation of his thing where he used the word arc. Yeah, but like, but so, like, does
0: he does he mean arc in the same way that we mean it?
1: That's that's what I'm saying.
0: Yeah, it's it's is it probably it's like he probably means the last like few arc- arcs in the sense that we know them.
1: Like, I think we have got about three years left, which puts us at roughly. Probably about 140 chapters, 130 to
0: 140. Yeah, I don't know. There's so much Which that needs fits
1: to... in with about like what um, Marine Ford and the Annie's, like, like Waterdown, Water Seven, Water Seven.
0: The That's arcs, lobby would have been. the arcs are getting longer though.
1: I don't think we're going to get as long as the the Kai arc uh, saga. Uh, um, it's just
0: that so much needs to fucking happen.
1: Before we turn this into the one piece power hour. Yes. Um which yeah, we can't do that. No one's something else to talk about today. No one's I think we have No one. two pieces about we we have about two pieces left in like two major arcs that we're gonna go through. Yes. We're gonna go through Rock Island and uh fight with Blackbeard and then we're gonna go through the final arc, which is gonna result in the confrontation with the world government on some level.
0: I I it, yeah, my theory is that what it is is going to be a dual narrative of um one side of the story is the battle between the World Government from Sabo's perspective and then the other side of it is Luffy against Blackbeard.
1: And meeting up probably somewhere at the Yeah, end so, there, yeah. yeah that and that then like sense. the
0: two the two stories intersecting in some capacity. Yeah. Uh,
1: but that's, I think, like, we, I'm I'm putting a stop to this right now. We will be here for an hour, but also we need KP here for this.
0: It's true. Also, uh, again, that's probably another thing. We're, we were we were going to talk about One Piece on this podcast anyway, but now that Laser's not here, there's no one stopping us from talking about fucking One Piece. Although he has been reading One Piece. He's, he's, like, in Wano right now. So, you know. You can't watch One Piece anymore. You have to read it. It's just, it's mm. too much. Mm-hmm.
1: They really need to, like, I don't know, I think, I think Toy could just do, like, a nice, like, Dragon Ball Kai or, like, you know, have, start from the beginning, either, like, you know, do a bunch of movies again to, you know, help get people up to speed or just, like, Make like a bunch of like twelve to twenty-six episode seasons, and then just keep going that way, and then they can keep milking One Piece. Yeah, and maybe. And give the new ones some higher, better quality animation. Yeah. Yeah. Not overworking their uh, production teams.
0: Like uh, episode of Luffy and whatnot.
1: Yeah.
0: One one can hope, but um.
1: Anyways, moving on. I'm I, I'm pu- I've got the the shepherd staff, and I'm pulling One Piece off the stage. No, no the the
0: one the one thing I was gonna say was um, before we get off of One Piece is um, it would be poetic if our two final coinciding battles were Sabo versus A- Akiinu and Luffy versus Blackbeard.
1: Yeah. Like I, I think the final battle might be Luffy versus Shanks.
0: My theory is that Shanks is gonna get killed by by Blackbeard.
1: Possible.
0: That's a possibility. Also, I'm gonna be upset if we don't go to Elbath before the show before the fucking series is over. Oh true, we do
1: have Elbath to hit still.
0: Yeah. I mean it doesn't have to yeah. be a long arc, but I'd be disappointed if we don't go there. Maybe we'll see it in two piece. Yeah, maybe two piece. Alright. So, um what I was gonna say was is that uh uh don't know what I'm gonna read now, uh or watch now in the meantime. Uh me and Adrian finally finished DuckTales, so.
1: <sighs>
0: DuckTales is so fucking good, man.
1: <laughs> uh yeah.
0: n- me and laser like the show was sort of airing when me and Laser started this podcast, so we sort of said our piece about Ducktales. Is you know it is gone, but rewatching it, um, I want to say one thing that uh, I didn't really realize about Ducktales, uh, and sort of like I've had more time to form an opinion. Mm-hmm. As as much as I love the whole show, I don't think. Season one or three were as good as season one.
1: Do you mean? Okay, hold on. Try that again for me, please. One more time.
0: I said, as much as I loved the whole show, mm-hmm. I don't think season two or three were as good as season one.
1: Okay, the first time you said, I don't think seasons one in one and three were as uh, good as season
0: one. No, no, no. Good seasons two, two and three were not as good as season okay. one. Okay.
1: Yeah. No, the first time you just said one and three were not as good as one. Yes. Which, uh, very confusing. Mm-hmm. Uh, having watched seasons one and two, and, and maybe about a quarter of season three, I think I can agree with that.
0: Yeah, the overarching, like, two co- plots of finding out what happening, happened to Della, but also the Lena Magicka thing, uh, weaved way better into the more episodic aspects of the show, whereas in Seasons 2 and 3 felt like there was less of the weaving of the overarching into the quote-unquote one-off plots, or if they were interlinked, they weren't as well done. Yeah. Um, I mean, to be fair, though, like, DuckTales at its worst is still like a 7.
1: Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's still enjoyable. Just sad that it's not, like, as good.
0: Yeah. But I mean, that
1: sometimes happens with later seasons when, like, the first season you have a lot of time to plan out. Yeah. And then you kind of, not maybe rushing, but, like, you have a lot less time to get out all the finer details.
0: Yeah. The the other thing, Lazer, we definitely talked about this as well that we noticed was clearly there was going to be four seasons because they were following a trajectory of Season 1 was Dewey's arc. Season 2 was Louie's arc. And season 3 was supposed to be Huey. And then the final season would have been Webby. But yeah. due to the stuff with the show getting cancelled, we had to wrap in the Huey arc and the Webby arc into one season. And it, it is sucks. it is unfortunate. Uh, The the other thing that, uh, and this is sort of my own personal bias talking, um, because I love Lena as a character, I had really wished that Lena had been, like, an element of the show in season two before the episode where she came back, because she just kind of, like, shows up again, but I'm like, no, 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 I want her hanging around making snarky comments inside of Webby's shadow. Up until then, like, I want her to be, like, a thing. Mm -hmm. But it's just sort of, like, she was so built up in season one, and her sacrifice at the end of season one was such a big deal, and then we wait, like, 15 episodes for her to show up again, and then she just is back. And it's it's kind of anticlimactic. As much as I love that episode.
1: Yeah, disappointing.
0: Yeah. It did give us Violet, though, so you know what? Eh... Win some, lose some. Yeah, win some, lose some. Girl squad forever. Um, Sometimes
1: sometimes things just don't go the way you want them to. Yeah. Uh,
0: So, now that we're done with DuckTales, the next thing we're going to watch is something neither of us... hmm? Woo! Something neither of us ever finished, uh, which is uh, Monster. I don't know how much you know about Monster.
1: Very little.
0: So... The basic premise of Monster, and this is not giving too much away because it's like the first couple couple of episodes,
1: mm-hmm. uh,
0: the basic premise of Monster is that it's about a, uh, a doctor who uh, is uh, very much a help first, profit comes second sort of doctor, and will never refuse a patient doesn't matter if they can't pay for it sort of doctor. Um, and then, one day, a young boy is brought into the hospital with a bullet wound in his head, and the doctor does his best to make sure the boy is saved. Uh, also, uh, the other person brought in alongside him is his younger sister, who is not as injured, but injured enough that she's in a, a coma. Um... And then after uh, the doctor heals the boy from his bullet wound it's like a miraculous surgery. Uh you find out that the one who shot him was his sister because the young boy is a murderous psychopath and killed oh, killed their parents. So, the entire story is about the doctor feeling so guilty about letting this quote unquote monster out into the world to commit evil that even though he's a pacifist and is and um is is a is a doctor, he has made it his duty to kill him and the entire show is about um character studies about the doctor and all the characters he meets and, and trying to find the the titular boy, the monster. As well as the, uh, the sister being a side character. Like a, a secondary character. Uh, and it was really good from what I remember. It is also another one of those shows slash manga that is not for the faint of heart because a lot of fucked up shit happens in it. Because it is a seinen. Um, yeah. But, yeah. Looking forward to watching Monster. And, like, finishing it. Because it aired... Uh, back in the day... Me and Adrian actually got into this conversation not that long ago. But back in the day when, like, anime blocks were a thing. And everybody was had, like, their own... <clears throat> uh, excuse me. Their own anime block. Uh, Sci-Fi Channel had their own anime block. And that was mm-hmm. where I first saw the dub of Monster. Uh, they also had Gurren Lagann on there, which is how I first watched Gurren Lagann.
1: Ah, Gurren
0: Yeah, I love Gurren Lagann. I hate Gurren Lagann. Both are my true feelings. I hate specific aspects about Gurren Lagann, especially as I've gotten older. Yeah, the second half is a lot better. Because most of the elements that I hated about Gurren Lagann were in the first half. A lot of it's payoff is in there. But like, yeah, it pays off really well.
1: Honestly, most of my issues has to do with the sexualization of, uh, um... Yoko.
0: Yoko. And that's She's like 14. That, that stops being a problem in the second half because she's a fully grown adult in the second half. She's 16. No. It takes place... Oh, wait, 7 years. 21. Yeah, no, yeah. She's like a fully grown adult. And... Still. At the they end. treat her
1: like she's some old woman in there and that's... Hmm. That's anime, man. What do you... What do you? That's and That's just... That's... That's just... That's studio. That's anime, but it's specifically that studio. Gynax is bad.
0: Gynax is bad. Gynax is great. Gurunlagen, for the most part, is really good. There's nothing else out there like it. Well, except for the animes that it was inspired by. <laughs>
1: uh.
0: uh like Gunbuster and Gao Gygar.
1: Even then, even with those, they don't, I think, quite reach the level
0: of hype that Gern Lagon reaches. I don't know, man. I've seen Gunbuster. (laughs) I've
1: seen seen, uh, the Gowan a long time ago. But even then, I don't. They're not. It's not that they're not bad. They're really good. It's just. I don't know. Very few things compare to I love my, my wife is the greatest in the universe swing.
0: I mean, yeah, that's fair. Or my
1: drill is the drill that will uh, pierce the heavens.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't know, man. Fucking um, the the end of Genesic Gaogai Gar where the, they um, there's the weapon, the Golion Hammer which mm-hmm. is like the ultimate super kill move at the end of the series, but then the sequel the 12 episode sequel series, Genesic Gaogai Gar uh, it's the final goldion hammer is they turn an entire space station into a hammer
1: but they're not throwing galaxies as throwing stars
0: oh well boohoo look i'm
1: not saying it's bad i'm just saying girl on has that certain thing like it just goes the hype
0: out there all I'm saying is that just because Goku blew up a mountain doesn't mean it's not cool when somebody else, like, punches a building.
1: Oh, no, you're right. I'm not disagreeing with you with that. I don't know. Girl Legon just has an energy to it. Like,
0: it just gets your blood pumping with when they're doing this shit. I mean, so does Galgagar, but that's me. Yeah. Gagar I- and <laughs> Gunbuster. Well, the Gunbuster uh. has its own problems
1: yeah i have i don't know i just maybe have like a certain nostalgia hype tied into girl and L'Gon. like the other like i'm not saying the others are, aren't bad and don't get me
0: hype girl and L'Gon just has its own like unique hypeness to it you know what super robot anime has its own unique hypeness cookie no <laughs> i was gonna say g gundam
1: No, I, I prefer, um,
0: Gundam Seed. <laughs> yeah, you couldn't even say that with a straight face, you fucking, you fucking bitch.
1: I remembering it.
0: You can't even say and it. And I was
1: also, I was also knowing, <laughs> I knew you were about to kill me for saying Yeah, you, you can't,
0: even fucking say it. <laughs> oh, God. No, but, sir, but, uh, seriously, you no, G Gundam is like. Nothing is more hype than, like, this hand of mine is burning red and its loud roar tells me to grasp victory. <laughs> Ugh. So fucking good, man. I can't wait to talk about G Gundam on this show. <laughs> or, like, G Gundam also has some of the stupidest shit, like, um, the Statue of Liberty canon. You know what? Fair. Yeah. But anyway. Um, yeah, I've, I haven't been up to much other than, than Radiant Berserk and like my my usual stuff. Uh, so that being said, uh, we're going to take a quick break uh, and Laser's probably going to be here for the mid-roll to uh, explain uh, some stuff. And when we get back, uh, Scarlet and I are going to talk about Legend of Log Machina. We'll see you in a minute.
1: Bye-bye! <laughs>
2: hey there folks welcome to the mid-roll i'm laser j and i'm no longer your host uh i'm fucking tired of having to fucking change the show's schedule and constantly not being on time with episodes because my job changes my schedule every three months because You know, we have different production seasons and different people need to be there during different times on different days during different times of the year. And I don't have the energy or the desire to record an episode after I get home from work because I'm tired Uh, and I am socially drained. So, yeah, I'm stepping down as host and that's largely part and do do doing part. ...that we do this for free right now. Uh... I haven't talked about this with Kai and the others yet, but... ...it is my sincere hope to have a Patreon set up by the end of the year... ...uh... ...to at least cover... ...the hosting fees and whatnot. And then hopefully, you know, maybe we can get some pay for people, you know... Uh... Joey is not presently employed and I am I make 10 bucks an hour before taxes or 10.25 before taxes so I'm not exactly rolling in the dough. Uh, so for the foreseeable future, I am remaining on as the editor. Uh, I will not be on microphone anymore. Except, I mean, you know me, I like to interject, so, you know, I may interject in ways that Joey and the others won't know until they listen back to the show, because I'm a little stinker. Uh, but, for the most part, you're not going to hear my voice anymore. Uh, I think that's for the best. I have been feeling kind of drained for a while now, doing the podcast, uh, I just don't enjoy it the way I used to, but I still like editing, I like editing, I, I also just don't think I'm a great fit for the subject matter, which is annoying, because this was my idea initially, I came to Joey with the desire to do this podcast, and, uh, I did not bring as much to the table as I'd hoped I would. Um, so, uh, I'll catch you on the flippity dip. Enjoy the rest of the show. Now back to the show. Do you see how your patience paid
0: off? And welcome back to Agamoo Podcast Incorporated. I am once again your new host, Kaiju Emperor, and joined again by Scarlet. Speaking of
1: things that pay off in the second half ah uh, I have been holding on to that one for 20 fucking minutes
0: okay oh my god thank god that's that's really fucking funny um so yes vox machina we're talking about the legend of Vox machina which was uh a, we a anima- a American animated adult uh fantasy show based on the uh first campaign of critical role. It was... The first ten episodes were originally crowdfunded uh, by Kickstarter in, in November 2019. No, uh, no,
1: no, 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 no. Not, not November, in um, the spring.
0: Was... funded in? Oh, no, the series was renewed. Yes. Uh, That's when Amazon from,
1: announced that the second... That they would do right. um, expanded right. to 26 episodes? 24 is 26. Um, 24. But the original Kickstarter was in... Um, March, uh, April, yeah, March, Aprilish of that year. Right, I remember because I was sitting eagerly awaiting refreshing the page in order to donate. and it earned
0: seven million something dollars. Uh, thirteen million. Jesus fucking Christ! Uh,
1: It was at the time the fifth highest um, Kickstarter project, and I think still is currently the highest entertainment project, and especially the highest uh, funded an animation project. Uh, they had an initial goal of seventy five uh seven hundred and fifty thousand. Um with, with stretch goals leading up to three million.
0: Went way they beyond that, within,
1: that. They hit that within a day.
0: Yeah, and the, the Kickstarter uh funded the first uh ten episodes technically and then the rest was funded yep. by uh Amazon or the last two? Originally
1: it was going to be four they were pitching four episodes. Um because at that time they had already been looking into Like, you know, turning their campaign into a show, but nobody had been like interested or picking it up. Um, And while it never outright said it, I believe the Kickstarter was 100% just like them trying to make like a backdoor pilot to get to show, hey, people are interested in this. Um, They sure did that. They sure did that. Uh, They set, so they set the amount. They set it for, yeah, enough for four episodes of like, you know, decent animation that would have just been a special detailing like the start of their adventures be probably mostly at the time stuff that had happened beforehand mm-hmm. and then uh yeah um that evening yeah, what- or the next day they released a video of like matt marisha and i think travis just sitting in stunned silence on one of their sets just completely and utterly broken as they were soaring past their stretch goals Mm-hmm. And it's at that point where you have to go. What do we do here? Cause right. They were running the campaign for forty five days, and I don't believe you can stop a camp- like a Kickstarter early. Nope. Um. And clearly, what they were getting was going to go. W- uh, already at the time, they knew was going to go past. Um. Past what they had like initially planned and budgeted for. So, yeah, the stretch goals was to start adapting the Briar, Briarwood arc into basically the, this first season, which we, which is what we got.
0: Yeah, and the uh, series was produced by Critical Productions and uh, a, a studio we talked about, Tip Mouse, many times uh, in, in Amazon Studios. And it was directed by uh, Chris Bernowski, who is very famous for directing Motor City uh, and Magus and several... Uh, Tip i Productions. Also, lock, uh, Metalocalypse, and uh, the series was composed by Neil R. C. And the first uh, season, which we'll be talking about, ran for twelve episodes. And again, it was renewed for a second season, which will probably also be twelve episodes. And I'm not. Here's the thing: I'm not going to hold my breath, but I do not doubt that we might get a third one. <laughs> I uh, I think we'll get into
1: this in a bit. I hundred I hundred percent. Feel that the best way to adapt, like the rest of their story, is into four 12 episode chunks.
0: Mm-hmm. I,
1: I, how they're doing and what they're wanting to do to hit all the, to hit a lot of the same character like moments and beats, um, mm-hmm. from the first like from the first campaign, that you're they're gonna want to stretch it out into the next thing because, so this. This season is twelve episodes and they take roughly ten to fourteen episodes and condense it down into the six um no six hours six like six hours or so.
0: Right. The next arc is forty four episodes long. I mean to be fair, you can cut a lot out taking into account like shit bullshitting at the table that can just, you know Oh yeah. You can cut There's a lot of- out bullshitting at the table but there's also at
1: least there's a number of things that they they'd have to hit. Mm-hmm. Like there's still a lot of character moments that if I think if they don't include the fans are going to be disappointed. Right. Uh, the story's going to slightly suffer and they're going to be disappointed
0: that they don't really hit
1: it. Yeah.
0: Um, yeah. The, the last thing on the production side of things was obviously all of the crit role cast would reprise their roles as their characters in the original from the original campaign. Uh, Laura Bailey is Vexalia, A.K.A. Vex Vissar. Talison Jaffe is uh, Percy, A.K.A. Percival Fredrickson von Musel Kalowski de Rolo the Third.
1: Hey, you did
0: it! Uh, uh, Ashley Johnson is Pike Trickfoot. Matt Mercer is uh he, he plays a lot of characters in this because you know he's Matt Mercer and also uh, because he only plays
1: a few. But
0: he plays Gilmore. Uh, No, he doesn't. uh, Not in
1: this. Really? Who's Gilmore? Nope. Uh, Gilmore is voiced
0: by Sunil uh, Malhotra. Sunil Uh,
1: Malhotra?
0: Yeah, but the main person he plays in this is Lord Silas Briarwood. Yes. He also plays Trinket and the demon Orthax. And and then a bunch of smaller bit roles throughout. Because, you know, he's Matt Mercer. He's Matt Um, Mercer, and Liam O'Brien uh, plays uh, Vexalia's slash Vax's uh, twin brother Vex Vexilodon, Vassar, A.K.A. Vax. Marisha Ray plays Keyless, uh, the the Ashari, uh, and Sam okay. Riegel plays the Air uh, Scan Sam Regal plays Scanlan Shortholt, and Travis Willingham plays Grog Strongjaw. Uh, and there were many other uh, guest voice actors who played either bit roles and/or secondary characters and/or villains. Stephanie. Uh, but do you would do you want to do this or
1: Yeah, this is this is such a loaded cast. Like it is very impressive. Like yeah, yeah, Stephanie um Stephanie Beatrice plays Lady Kima Ford. Um we have Don Dominic Monaghan, aka um Mary from Lord of the Rings, playing uh Percy's childhood friend Archibald uh Desenet. Uh I already mentioned Sunel Malhotra as Gilmore. Um it makes sense. Uh, though for that actor because Gilmore's more from like the like the Indian Middle Eastern inspired right. area of the world. Mm-hmm. So they wanted to go with like uh, an actor more from that area, I believe. Yeah. Um so we got that. We have Gina Torres as Keeper Yen. Um we have guest star on Critical Role, um Darren Nepal who plays um Um... Stonefell. and Uh, Stonefell. Yeah. Um... Fun fact. Daryl Nepal used to act and play D&D with uh, Matt Mercer's mother. Huh. So his character, when he played in Campaign 1, was the only surviving member of his original party.
0: That's fucked up.
1: Yeah, they play a lot into that when he comes on the show. Um... Hmm. We also have Kelly Hugh as Anna Ripley. Um, who else? We? Oh, David Tennant as General um, Craig. Krieg. Krieg slash um, Brimside, Br- the first Brimsyfe. antagonist yep. of, this, of the show. Yep. Um, amazingly, they did not... I don't think they approached him. He approached them for this role. Um, I would love if
0: he got to be a guest star on Campaign 3.
1: Oh, man. I would... Lose my mind if he ever showed up, me too, but I uh, yeah, he had heard about it from like some friends of his, and like I, will, I i don't know the full story, I just know he had heard about it, and i I'm fairly certain he approached them about it mm-hmm. um, I think other one the other major mention one one of the other major mentions is Felicia Day, who plays a couple of bit characters, um which I feel yeah. it's important to mention her because.
0: It's Felicia Day.
1: (laughs) It's Felicia Day, who was the one who invited the group to originally do the, like, to start streaming the show. Because at the time, she had her network, Geek and Sundry. And so, when she heard Matt Mercer was running a game with all these voice actors, she's like, hey, you want to stream it for us? And they're like, yeah, sure, we'll do a couple episodes, and then people won't be interested, and then we'll stop.
0: Here we are.
1: Seven years later, here we are. The most popular Let's Play Live,
0: like, Let's Play... D and D thing, and like it's see, campaign three. Uh, how many up twenty something episodes in of campaign three? And this twenty three-ish. This animated adaptation of the first campaign coming out this year. Um, the first official game like world setting added to D and D in
1: like twenty years.
0: Taldore, yeah.
1: Taldore, um. Like three different world-building novels, plus like I think one
0: adventure. Yes, um, the the one of the newest books that Matt came out with was an adventure set in uh, Taldorei. Yeah, uh, in Exandria,
1: you know, specifically in Marquette, Yes, exactly. Where campaign Free is taking place. Right. Um. So Exandria is the world. Yes, Exandria is the world. Taldorei is the continent in which the majority of the adventures of Vox Machina takes place. And then Campaign uh, 2 takes place primarily in wild, wild, wild Mounts, and Campaign 3 has taken place mostly in Marquette. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, there's a fourth continent, I forget the word, name of it in there, but that's most of the worlds that we've seen slash Noah so far. Mm-hmm. Um, fun facts, Sam Regal's character, uh, kids, both played um, uh, small bit roles in the series.
0: Oh yeah, the little girl who fucking dies. <laughs> Yep.
1: Kestrel Regal and Maximus Regal. Not the real names, I believe, because he doesn't want them to like he doesn't want the world to know their names because they're little kids. That makes sense. And then I think perhaps my one of my personal favorite roles is is Greg Griffin, aka our childhood love nemesis Azula playing Delilah Briarwood.
0: I don't think you there are very few people you probably could have picked better to play an evil necromancer lady.
1: She had originally signed up to just do scratch uh, scratch bits for the show. Just like, you know, placeholder voices and stuff. Right. Um, but she had always been there, like, the cast... She had actually been the cast's top choice to play Delilah. Because you're right. There's nobody better than her to be playing Delilah.
0: Yep. Like like the, the she's very she is super famous for playing one of the best villains in any animated show from our childhood so you know hey
1: like you don't get a better villainess than Greg griffin you yeah. don't
0: yeah it's true
1: both their I, like oh man both Silas and Delilah their voices just just the voices alone matt mercer's voice is it does things
0: to me he's a it's sexy s- vampire i don't he's a sexy
1: vampire
0: he's a sexy vampire and I don't uh go to yeah. guy
1: i would go to guy specifically for matt mercer's matt mercer and specifically
0: his voice mhm i think the only people that haven't been mentioned in terms of like guest voice actors are uh uh Freaking um Gina Tor uh, no Gina Torres was mentioned. So oh uh, uh, Esme Creed Miles as Cassandra. Yeah, yeah, and and, and Tracy Toms as uh Pike's uh, deity, the Everlight. Um Carrie Payton,
1: actually too. Right. Uh, another guest star in campaign too. Um Yeah, just this is All a course. who's who of cast list. Like they mentioned they didn't get everybody that they
0: wanted, but they got some big names for this. Like, you know, I am sad that Will Wheaton didn't end up being a bit part in this. Actually, uh, I'm waiting until the second second season because he there's a chance he might show up. Like, if Will Wheaton, like he doesn't even have to fucking be anybody. He could just be some bit. Bit character, like I don't need him to be a major character. I just want wait Wheaton to show up.
1: Well, here's the thing: is I mean, again, he he was also, I guess, um, star in Campaign One.
0: Oh, I know, and he cursed everybody's
1: dice. He cursed everybody's dice multiple times. He cursed Talton Jaffe, the most lucky roller at that fucking table at the time.
0: Yeah, it's it's really funny. So, um, the it the the very interesting. Relationship I have with Will Wheaton is that I didn't grow up watching TNG, but I went back and watched it later in life. So my main exposure to Will Wheaton for most of my life was um, through his the character he played on the very like the sort of OG uh, actual play podcast. Uh, Acquisitions Incorporated which was uh, back when 4th Edition was like the the uh, new edition uh, it was sort of like to uh, it was like him and like a couple of guys from Penny Arcade and it was run by Chris Perkins and that was sort of my first real exposure to the concept of an actual play podcast and sort of like I knew of d d and like was vaguely aware of it within the zeitgeist of pop culture, but it got me actually interested in playing it, and that was how I ended up playing fourth edition. Uh, yes, uh, for for you D and D heads out there, yes, I started with fourth edition. Fight me!
1: I'll fight you, but not for that.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. Um, Look, I, I I've never
1: played fourth edition, so I can't say the specifics, but I've heard some things about it that. Sound like good ideas on paper.
0: There are some cool ideas in it.
1: Specifically, I think minions from Fourth Edition.
0: Yep, minions. Um, uh, the are bloodied. Really good. The bloodied condition, where yeah. like a boss will they will do a thing when they reach half health, like it'll be like a phase change, and like that's pretty cool. Which has kind of come back with a few of like the later uh, boss encounters.
1: Uh, I know at least in Icewind Dale. Yeah. There's a there's a an encounter that changes phases depending on health and stuff.
0: Yes. And then. I so, uh, uh, had some good
1: ideas that just I don't think yeah. that they just didn't land.
0: And then um, I like the idea of encounter powers. In theory. Uh, and I like that it made fighters feel cool. And it wasn't just you were swinging your sword; you got to do like, you know, cool combat moves. Yeah. Uh, but it was at the expense of making the wizard, and the sorcerer, and the warlock feel less special.
2: That's you know,
0: fine. It, it felt like everybody, could, everybody was casting spells. It was more like yeah. an MMO. It felt more like an MMO than like a typical tabletop. And you know what? If you're, if that's what you want, you know. Play 4th Edition. Um, or play... Uh, I forget what it's called. There's like a another game. It's sort of like in the vein of how were, like nobody wanted 3.5 to end, so they made Pathfinder. There's something similar with 4th Edition. Uh, excuse me. But I forget what it's called. Um, but anyway.
1: And then, I think... Not a voice member, but... Um, the voice director is Mary Elizabeth Glenn
0: the Mary Elizabeth Glenn
1: whose voice also does things to me
0: Mary Elizabeth Glenn is a fucking legend
1: who was also a guest star in campaign 1
0: yeah who did she play in campaign 1
1: um she played um sort of a Z. um i keep wanting to say zebra it's not zebra it was she played a tiefling warlock named oh god um, hold on. It was something like uh, um Z- Zaria, there we go.
0: Mm. Yeah, for those who don't know who Mary Elizabeth McGlynn is, uh She is a voice actress, however, she's most famous for being one of the best voice acting directors, if anything. Because, you know, she voiced at... She was the voice acting director for the English dub of uh, a show you might have heard of called Cowboy Bebop. You know, no big deal.
1: No big deal.
0: No big fucking deal. She's also Julia in that show. Uh, And she's also an Outlaw star. Fushigi Yugi, Roni Kenshin... Vandred, Digimon Tamer, Digimon Frontier, Naruto, Wolves Reign, Dot Hack Sign, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, and she played one of my, uh, wife's, uh, Mo- Major Motoko Kusanagi, in that. And god, I love her voice. She also played Kuranai and Naruto. But, um, yeah, she's, a uh, very prolific. If you don't know about her, by now you should. What are you doing here? What well, anyway. are you doing here? So, um... So that covers our voice cast. Our massive voice cast. uh, Massive who's who's of voice cast. Just So this is like, what, your third time watching? <laughs>
1: yes, this was my third time watching it.
0: Okay. Is there anything you noticed in the second and third viewing that you didn't notice the first time you watched it?
1: Um... Not too, too, too much. Right. Um, I'm not great at spotting Easter eggs. Uh, however, this go around, though, um, the biggest thing I noticed is in the third episode, um, mm. in Grayskull Keep, they have, like, their flags up, which is right. of a large rock and seven cows. Huh. Uh, this is in reference to an episode that, a- that they played during, like, the start of the Briarwood arc um, shortly after, like the uh, the events of uh, what would have been the events of the third episode, where they encounter the Briarwoods for the first time, and right. you know get in trouble for attacking digni- visiting dignitaries. Mm-hmm. As um, you do. Community service was to find out why a bunch of cows were going missing. Hmm. Um. Or a couple of farmers came up to them like, "Hey, our cows are going missing. Please help us," and they're like. Well, this will help, you know, restore our reputation a bit. Right. Um, so they went and did that. The main reason they did this was because at the time, uh, one of the few times Taliesin Jackie has ever missed an episode, uh, he was very sick that day. Mm-hmm. Or that week. So he couldn't attend. Like, they couldn't attend. And, well, they could not move the story forward without him. Like, this was his backstory. They were at the start of his backstory You could not move forward without Towson being there. Right. So they just went, okay, we're going to go help these these farmers. And over the course of the episode, they all either polymorphed or were illusioned themselves into cows to find out what was stealing and attacking the herds. All right, then. And the episode is called Cows and Consequences. It is one of my favorite episodes, and I was very sad the first time Knowing we were never going to see it, like, I knew coming into this, like, there is, if anything to cut, that is the most on-the-table thing right there. It, it,
0: it is very strange that, like, I know we'd sort of have to have an establishing thing uh, for Vox Machina, which is the dragon, but it feels very weird that, like, that's only like two episodes of the whole show, where in the entire rest of this is just the Briarwood stuff. Yep. It, it feels so disconnected. From everything else in this show, and like I get it, we need the "quote unquote" beginning to establish who Vox Machina are, especially for people who haven't seen Campaign One, like me. Uh, but at the same time, um, because the rest of the the rest of the season covers so much of the prior arc, it feels like that whole section is a little rushed in terms of pacing. It um, is. That being said, I I feel like honestly, you got enough of a good idea of who they were in that very first scene in the tavern.
1: Yeah. I that get, that, was, that was one of their original goals is like how do we like that was the big issue is how do we establish who who everybody is, what their role is, and what the, what are they like within like 5 minutes of meeting them.
0: Yeah. Um like, honestly I think what would have been a really fun way to establish um, some stuff about them that we that probably wouldn't have been in the show because it was earlier in the campaign would have been sort of a interview style process where they were asked like so what what are your qualifications as, as a mercenary and they' like tell a story from an earlier in the campaign and it's like a flashback and that could be like, more of an establishing piece of a thing for each individual member of Vox Machina. Yeah. Uh, um, but you know, that's that's those are that's that whole whole thing in the the pacing of the beginning compared to the rest of the 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 season is my only major gripe. Everything else is great.
1: Oh yeah, no, that's 100 fair. Um, the original, because I think part of the issue is that they are. Trapped by their Kickstarter promise of, like, hey, we're going to do a, a special. Our first two episodes are going to be, be this special, with the rest diving into the Briar War. Yes. Um, originally, they had intended to, like, do, like, a night, nightmare episodes, where, like, mm-hmm. each character is trapped in their own, like, deepest, darkest fears. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they quickly realized, this does not work well for an establishing episode. Like this is something you do once you get to know the characters a bit better this is not how you introduce them right so they had to kind of scrap that idea yeah um so what they went with instead was this arc uh the Brimsife arc which was an adventure that they had before campaign two or not campaign two before they started uh streaming
0: campaign one yeah
1: yes and uh, this was something that had happened shortly beforehand um mm so I think they smartly decided that this was what they were going to um animate because this was also the adventure that got them Grey Skull Keep and got them their fame. Mm-hmm. um because yeah before but before this they had you know a few other adventures uh like where they had established themselves as you know recurring heroes including one where Kieleth ended up killing a kid while fighting a Lich, or some form of, like, evil overlord coming in from a different dimension, who was hmm. kidnapping kids during the winter solstice, and using them to, like, stay alive, so when you attacked him, you killed one of the kids instead.
0: That's fucked up.
1: It is fucked up. It's I'm actually kind of disappointed that they didn't get a chance to show that in... I- in in this?
0: I mean, to be fair, they did get that one scene where they were like, Ooh, what's the most fucked up thing you've done or like the when you fought X or Y? And there was that scene of Keelith like accidentally blowing that one Duragar into the lava?
1: Um <laughs> All of like, those kills are from no, early in their streaming.
0: Oh, I I know I know I knew I I know I, I researched that. I know that that actually happened, and it was yep. just straight up like that's just how it happened. That's just and, how it happened. And then uh, the the grog thing was how he killed a a bulet. Yep. And the one with a uh, vax, uh, w- with the raksasa was another thing that happened early in the campaign.
1: That's Man. something else that's definitely going to get cut later down the line. Like, mm-hmm. as much as there's a good moment of it later, and like later in the campaign, that it's just getting cut. There's no, like, you look at the story and the pacing. There's no way that it makes sense to keep continue. Like, it doesn't make sense to continue it.
0: Right. Uh, also, it is interesting uh, that they uh, established that the show is its own canon. Which frees them up from having to, like basically, if there are any inconsistencies, it is because it's its own canon. They're not limited by fault strictly following what happened within the campaign, because that can end up being like, um, as fun as great as playing D and D is. Sometimes there's just stuff that from a storytelling perspective just would not work and you should have and it just doesn't need to be here
1: in a 22 minute episode when you are pressed for time it doesn't make sense sometimes to have some of these things right and and um yeah no what they've done is they've looked at these the set of episodes as are what were the important beats what's important here distill that all down and then that's what we came up with
0: yeah uh and then Um, obviously because of the uh Nature of this arc being the Briarwood stuff. Of the character who gets the most here is, is Percy. Yep. Uh, which I hope that all the other characters will get more as we get more seasons.
1: Hopefully. See, this is again where I say that it needs to be. I think um, four, like four 12 episode, like twelve episode seasons is what we want. Like, what would love them to really get into everybody.
0: I, I know for sure that the next season will probably be the Vex and Back stuff because I know that it's the Chroma Conclave and I know that the leader of the Chromacomclave is the Red Dragon that killed their mother.
1: Yeah. Uh, but like even during that, yes we have Vax and Vex. Um they get that issue with, you know, uh the Red Dragon Floridax. But um we also there's a there's a good Grog and Pike like touch on their backstory. Grog especially. Um, and if they don't show uh, him facing down his past, I will personally write because it is one of the coolest moments in the original show. Mm-hmm. Um, who else? Uh, both Vax and Vex get other things going on here. Uh, this is... Uh, its I don't want to say too much, and I don't want to try and spoil too much. Um, but this is very Vax basically uh gets in with another DAT um, mm. Vex gets her own thing. Um again in the middle of the arc there's another there's another great Percy moment that has to be in here because as you can already tell there's a budgeting romance between Percy and, and Vex and if this moment doesn't come into like focus in this in, in this next arc then right. What are we doing here? Yep. But that's next arc. That's the that's um, the next arc. And again, that's 40-odd episodes that they have to figure out how to distill down into possibly 12. Yeah, this is why yeah. I think, like, 24 to 26 episodes for, the, like, the next arc is reasonable, because then you can kind of dedicate four to five arcs to, like, almost every character in the moments they have to hit.
0: Yeah. Um, The the other... This is sort of a nitpick. Um my only other small, tiny gripe, Uh, most of the time, the show does a really good job of switching tone. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I get, like, whiplash. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like, one scene we're like, lingering on, like, a bunch of people, like, who were dressed up like Vok it, and were hanged, and then the next scene, Scanlan is sneaking into a guy's house and the guy's taking a shit oh uh, like yeah like two episodes later that's going on it's it's like such a weird like i get that scanlan is sort of like the dedicated comedy relief character other than grog but like you know at the same time
1: to be fair those episodes, those moments are not just juxtap- like they're not right after each other
0: They they're not right after each other but, but I it is like
1: from there are some moments where it's like really heavy like cuz yeah right before that that happens they're having a big discussion about like what to do what's going on um yeah, exactly. they had a heavy discussion uh specifically i believe that that one was revolving around Percy's gun the list which has five that's... names that's god and did you notice that's when good... he's talking about it and they mention who the six, who's supposed to
0: go on the sixth barrel wasn't it supposed to be percy himself
1: uh pretty much like did you see his shadow at that moment though
0: it was pointing a gun at a shadow his was gun-, the gun was yeah the shadow. he had the yeah. gun
1: was up to his head and that is just oh that's such a good moment right there
0: yeah uh by the way the list damn that's a good name for a weapon
1: uh his other gun which also gets introduced is a sniper which is bad.
0: bad news because bad news travels fast
1: yep Damn. Halsey and Jackie (laughs) is the most extra motherfucker in this cast.
0: He is a bisexual disaster, and I love him. It is so funny to me that, like, campaign one has, like, all the characters, like, Vax is, like, the rogue. Yep. Vex is the ranger. Grog is the fighter. Pike is the cleric, etc. And then you have Percy. (laughs) He's just a guy with a gun. It's so weird that he he's kind of the odd man out of, like, the all of the other characters being sort of, like, archetypes of their sort of class. Um, I, I, this comes, with, I think, a lot no. from when they started their home game, is he's the only one who
1: had... A, yeah, I believe him and Liam... No, not Liam. Um... wasn't it? It it might have been him and who had had previous experience with Um, D&D most of them were new to it like Travis specifically and uh, that's just why Grog is named Grog because he needed a quick name for for him at the time and he just plays the prototypical dumb fighter dumb fighter slash barbarian and then you look at when he comes into campaign 2 with Thor and has like a 40 page backstory Mm mhm he jumped into it with both feet. Or with that, that Bertrand is, Bell is, or Chetney.
0: That is literally every d and player ever. Yep. Your first character, like, unless you have been DM for a long time and you've made a bunch of NPCs and uh, your first character is usually going to be something pretty simple. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, and sort of like, uh, the other sort of like Stereo, like super big stereotype character is uh, fucking Scanlan, who's like the bard.
1: And that like, 100% comes from Sam's uh, training in um, musical theater. Musical theater. Uh, Travis also awesomely is in classical theater, and that explains a lot of his choices, especially once he starts to play a character of like more than 8 intelligence. Um, yeah, the yeah. I I do have to say I'm really I know because I don't think you plan on watching Campaign One. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you get to see Sam's like chaotic, um, musical nature at work here because that is honestly, his on the spot improv inspiration songs are one of like the best things about Campaign One. Yeah, it's just he will I just, just come method. up with on the spot a lot of the times with these bits, and it's just, oh Jesus fuck, how did you come up with this? And good, right. here's the music. um my beads of love for example oh God. <laughs> he came to the animators with that song because he was he, him and Travis were both writers on the show as well um yeah and he came to the team with like this and it's like okay here's a song I wrote can we fit it in somewhere and they're like mm-hmm. no and then they they got it in got it in, they got it in.
0: just cause this is just what Scanlan does this is just what scanlan does like and th- i am I'm, I'm mostly joking cuz i mean the the other the, the the two of them are like the most stereotype class uh because like when you, when everyone makes the stereotype of the bard it's like the horn dog charmer bard yep and like scanlan is the epitome of that archetype of the bard i'll give sam credit though uh Scanlan is also bisexual as fuck. Oh yeah, this <laughs> man, he is pansexual. More so in this
1: than in campaign one. In campaign one it was very much um women only. Mm-hmm. I think it was more of a later decision to be like, yeah, no, he fuck he just fucks.
0: He just fucks. He just fucks. Period.
1: Um fucks.
0: His introduction that, in episode
1: that... one to fucking the tavern keeper's daughter. Really good. Yeah, I mean you know, it's Classic, the tavern keeper. I, I by think... the way, uh, also a stretch goal from the Kickstarter, designed by the community um, before they started it. Uh, like the show. Hmm. Yep. The
0: More you know, I the, guess. Like the more you know. That I think my favorite sort of in that episode one, my favorite sort of like establishing moment of a character was Vax. Yeah. When it was what it was like a half heart threatening like you can't even tickle your own pickle and he's like oh are you offering another extremely bisexual character both in I mean because Liam O'Brien on. is Liam O'Brien is extremely bisexual uh,
1: yeah pretty yeah I don't think he's ever explicitly said it but he's talked about it before yeah a it's
0: it, it's it's like I don't want to put labels on anybody but like when two out of the three characters I've seen you play have been bisexual and also the energy yeah he's, he's
1: talked about experimenting with men in college before but he's never like i think openly said he is bisexual mm-hmm. but like it's one of those things like if you say it, yeah yeah um right yeah him and sam though are well, i was gonna say the closest of the group but like two of them are married um or four of them are married mm-hmm. uh, but him and sam call each other husband and wife Adorable. Um, they're extremely close. And yeah, um, they have shared a picture of them kissing before. So, like, not to not to speculate on anybody's sexuality, because that's wrong. But if they came out as bi, I would not be shocked.
0: Mm hmm. Yeah, no questions asked on, on this one. Same
1: with, like, you know, if Marisha Ray came out as bi.
0: Yeah. She has the vibes. She's got the. Look, you
1: look at Bo. Like, look at Bo.
0: Bo is. Is so is such a fucking uh lesbian disaster tonight.
1: Or if you just look at when she comes, she comes on for live shows. She just like it's like her episode the just vibe. is like Yeah, no, you're just giving gays what they want.
0: The vibe, man. The, the vibe immaculate,
1: perfect. I am in love with you. Um Yeah. Matt Mercer uh, is a very I'm... lucky man
0: he he is it is i know we i know Great delio was perfect for lady briarwood but it would have been really fun if matt was lord barwood and she was lady briarwood that
1: would have been very good
0: it would have been but you know
1: hey i don't know if she would have had the energy for it but
0: yeah i don't know if she would have had the energy either but i think i don't know i think she has the range she's got a pretty good range by the way, can is not I just quite say, as
1: experienced as like everybody else is in acting.
0: It, what, can I just say this? Uh, this show does one of my favorite things, and it's very much an anime thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, when a vampire and an anime, like they're not teleporting; they're just moving so fast, it appears like they're teleporting. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm, mm, love that shit! Very good. Love that shit! Just zoom, zoom, all over the place. Just like bamfing around, but it's like no, he's not teleporting. He's just so fast that it looks like he's teleporting. God, the fight scenes
1: in this show, like, oh, this is they, um, and one of the other things that they've talked about um, is, uh, you know, Titmouse, obviously great animation studio.
0: Yeah, excellent animation studio. Their focus has
1: largely been on kids animation, because you know yes. that's just where animation tends to sit. Yeah. So
0: very early on, with I the exception of start, like. There's a lot more.
1: It was a lot less gory, um, and you really kind of of see this in like episodes one and two because it's by episode three where they, they really Mm -hmm. start to realize, this is an adult show. Yeah, we can do what we want. We don't have to have somebody just kind of take a hit and stagger back. We can get bloody with it.
0: People can get chopped
1: in half. People can get chopped in half, and then they start really just
0: getting into it. I mean, to be fair, Titmouse did work on Metalocalypse and Venture Brothers. Oh
1: yeah, but I, I so think like, they've it's just, they've it's done just that moment of like, you just have to get over that hump of an action and like an action show.
0: Just not being that like. I mean, I would have been disappointed if the kills weren't brutal, considering how absolutely gruesome Matt describes every time someone does a critical hit oh, on yeah. anything. Oh, absolutely.
1: Like. Yeah, once they got, once they hit, once they had that realization of just how far they can start pushing it,
0: Mm -hmm. they went for it. Yeah, there's a lot of like brutal, gory shit that happens, like that scene where the rebels are attacked by that giant, and one of the giant just picks one of the guys up and just like hum bites him in half, (laughs) or like a fucking. Uh, Percy, ricocheting one of his bullets and blowing the guy's tongue and his lower jaw to oh, of his that face. That was so brutal. That was so fucking brutal. No mercy, Percy, indeed. No mercy, Percy. Uh, like Talison really just got to like go absolutely apeshit uh, in this. Absolutely, Like, even in the original campaign,
1: like just, just off the walls, just with it, like. Mm-hmm. This, like, this was the first time, like, starting coming into here, we start, is the first time we all kind of, re- like, we already knew he was going, you know. Unhinged. Unhinged. But, like, this is where he started becoming
0: unhinged. I, I mean, like, the scene where he points the gun at Vax, and it's like, what the hell are you doing? And he's just like, I will, in, there was, the, that, that one line there's so much energy in it is like, I will not be denied my vengeance. Oh. Uh, your soul is forfeit. Your soul is forfeit. is so good. Or the, uh, no, what was the, um, you're the luckiest person in Whitestone because you're at the bottom of my list. In the original strike, he just had
1: your, like, the best lines just he was the one-line king in the original show.
0: Oh, yeah. Um, now, it is It is just so funny to me, because I'm so familiar with their characters in Campaign 2, that so many of their characters in Campaign 1 are, like, literally the exact opposite energy. Yeah, very much so. Like, Percy and um, fucking... uh Mommy. Molly Mock slash Caduceus. So opposite energy. Molly, we've talked about this off podcast before, but Molly was originally per, uh, his uh,
1: campaign one backup character,
0: right? Who yeah. would have
1: come in and started telling tales about the terrible Tinker of Taldore, mm-hmm. because Percy has unleashed guns on the world.
0: He has unleashed and guns on the world. That will be his legacy. legacy. They were a plot point in campaign two. Yep,
1: and uh, they're kind of popping up a bit in uh, campaign three, where. Ashley the character, Fern, wants to give one to her fire monkey.
0: So what you're telling me is, is we're going to have a reenactment of that scene in Hellboy where uh, Hellboy goes, look out, he's got a gun. Yes. And the monkey just shoots Abe Sapien. Le-
1: uh, Liam O'Brien, as the world's biggest Hellboy fan, made that same joke when that happened.
0: <laughs> Thank you, Liam. Thank you.
1: Um... I am looking forward Um, to some of the other lines that they might get to include from Percy mm -hmm. later in the series. Um, One that I don't think is going to make it because it's kind of just like a chill talk between him and Grog that really never amounted to anything was your secret is safe with my indifference.
0: (laughs) I think that Percy, uh, like, well, um, Scanlan and Grog were sort of the comedic characters. The scene that made me laugh the most was actually a scene with Percy, and that was uh, when they were de- when Vox Machina was dealing with their ultimate enemy, doors. Yeah. Oh God, doors. Uh, and uh, when they were trying to unlock that one back door, and then Percy's like, "I'm gonna go, in- I'm gonna go on the w- through the window," and then it's just like Scanlan and Vax trying to get through this door, and, just... and then suddenly Percy just falls and tumbles atop top of them and just goes, "I fell out of the window." <laughs> that moment th- this
1: they could not when it came to doors they could not deal with doors like there was a moment in this time like it, when they were going to Whitestone, where they came across like a church or a giant's keep or something mm-hmm. and it took them three spells and they lost like Cannon lost like seven hit points trying to open this door because he climbed in through like this window because he was small and there's a heavy bar on the one side that He could not lift. So, like, they put a short sword through it. So, he's trying to, like, you know, pick it up. But, you know, it's the sharp end of a sword. And then, like, he's trying to mage hand it off. And it's just... It's
0: not going good. It's
1: just not open. Like, they're just not getting it. So, oh, the amount of doors that, like, they had trouble with. Just their ultimate enemy.
0: If 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 we ever get mighty nine animated and we don't get reference to the chair, I'll be disappointed
1: God that moment was oh that's just that was just one of those peak d d moments of like
0: matt just going like it's a, it's a chair, chair.
1: <laughs> and everybody just kind of latching on to like okay what's this chair doing in this room it's like it's just a chair and if you have DMs, like, you know uh, this moment where people just Laser in on oh.
0: something that doesn't matter, <coughs> because the, their logic is like the DM described it. Therefore, it's important. Yeah. Yep. And and Matt just like with the most like deadpan like, it's just a chair. Like he was sure. Yes. It's just
1: a chair. Lux <sighs> where. Their biggest enemies are chairs and old people, or doors and old people. The Mighty Nine. Where their biggest enemy are chairs and kids.
0: Chairs and kids, and not. and not. And not. Like not almost not did kill somebody and almost killed several people multiple times. Uh, ah no!
1: I love you, you, terrible goblin gremlin.
0: I love not um, the uh, so the things that I did notice sort of like from on the more meta side of things mm-hmm. is like it was interesting that uh, they, they couldn't refer to like just like how just like in the Wild Wildmount books they could never refer to the canon deities by their like licensed name no. no like they could never refer to Vecna. As Vecna, so they had to call him the Whispered
1: One. Genra is always the gonna, is always going to be the Everlight. Um, yes. Paleor is always just going to be the Dawn Father.
0: I am curious because I know that the finale of Campaign One is the fight with Vecna, If we'll get to that in a sort of animated sense, and if they're just still going to call him the Whispered One, even then, I think so. We spoilers. Hmm. Do you mind if I say it? I don't care. I'm never going to watch campaign one, and I said okay. at the top of this podcast, well, it's, it's going to be spoilers
1: for the Legend of Vox Machina later. Yes. Um. Anyway, spoilers. to Anybody who does care, we are setting up for Vecna, literally right now.
0: Oh yeah, I know the Whisper one. Like the, the that straight up, they just make a spear of annihilation. Yep. And then like we're obviously the next this next season is going to be the the Chromo Conclave. Yep. Which I do know about from Campaign 2 because they're mentioned in Campaign They are mentioned, yeah. Uh, and I know that that was sort of a whole arc of dealing with each of these chromatic dragons and the big one being the one that burns Vex and Vex's village. Uh, and I know that some of them Vox can never actually beat and they're still alive. Which I think is kind of fun. Uh, but I don't know how that's going to play out in the actual show.
1: You might have min- we'll misinformation see. on that one.
0: Really? Yeah. Might Is it just that they were? there's just a new group of evil dragons? It's just
1: all the dragons in the world. Yeah. I this, mean, these, Com- these, aren't these aren't the like, only dragons. These are just the four that teamed up, or the five that teamed up.
0: Yeah, fair enough. Cause, Chroma Conclave is just they're just worshippers of Team Out. That's all it is. So,
1: yeah, the Chroma Conclave, um, which included Brimsight from the start. Yeah, because um, you know, I'm sure you noticed the rug with all five dragons in his room in episode two.
0: Yeah, he had it, it was straight up the, the symbol of Tiamat. Yeah, yeah. Um, which they're probably going to call her the Dragon Queen, and probably if she ever shows un- unless, up, unless unless Tiamat is not licensed because it is just the name of an actual god. It's just the name of an actual god. Tiamat hasn't shown up weirdly. Really. Ever, ever... But I mean, she would she would be mentioned, I guess, by the Chroma Conclave because you know. Yeah, possibly. We've gotten uh, Bahamut
1: because that's um, Lady Hema is a paladin of Bahamut, mm. but that's the only one. So, like, we haven't heard too much of Tiamat. I don't. I could be wrong. There's yeah. a thousand hours of content. Like, yeah. Forgive me if I missed something over the past seven years. Uh.
0: <laughs> uh did the the other thing I noticed was that no spells were ever named. No. Uh, or if they were named, they were given different names. Like Bigby's Hand was called Scanlan's Hand. Yep. Uh, and they, of course, made meta jokes about, like, uh, when uh, Kaelith learned Tree Stride, she was like, I think I can only do it once a day, but also if I'm only strong enough, but also if, like, it has to be a tree I've seen. Yeah. Like, the weird, like, meta knowledge joke about how a spell works... Um, and I noted, and I was a little, I was trying to figure out some of the sort of, like, uh, references to specific abilities. Um, the, the one that took me a minute was, uh, when Vex, when there would be a dragon nearby, she would have, like, a headache. I'm like, how oh, is that, like, a, a feat or something? I'm like, no, that's straight right. up just primeval awareness yeah. from, uh, the ranger class. Yep her favorite enemy is dragons, You know, because... Village. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, yeah, you can kill my village, etc., etc., yeah. Um, and Percy uses a whole deal with the the shadow demon is, like, you said he took a feat for...
1: Magic initiate uh, to get... Um, a warlock pact. Uh, not warlock pact, to get Hexblade's Curse. Yes,
0: Hexblade's Curse. And I but think he did.
1: one or two other spells at the time. Um, and
0: technically the list is a pact one. Yeah. Technically, not from a mechanical no. standpoint, but from a lore perspective.
1: Uh, he got hex, friends, and minor illusion.
0: Mm, now, we will see
1: those ever show up again? Really, I doubt it. Mm-hmm. Um. He also has the sharp shooter and tough feet, but like you know. Mm.
0: Yeah, and then of course, Grog said the iconic "I would like to rage." Yep. Uh, which I'm glad got to be in there at least once. Yeah,
1: uh, when they first did, did it, he did a very more, like, calm version of it, more of, like, what he was doing at the table. But then, like, they went back, and Mary Mary Elizabeth Glenn, because, you know, she's top not yeah. the voice director, is like, no, come on, put your whole ass into it. And so he did, and that's how we got probably one of the best I would like to rage is out there.
0: I my favorite thing in campaign 2 is any time uh Yasha says uh, I would like to rage and it's like yeah you do yeah
1: yeah <laughs> <laughs> It continues with Ashton in campaign 3. Oh, uh,
0: that's very cute. Um uh, not quite to like, the same
1: extent but like every now and then cause
0: yeah it's what you yeah, see yeah, as I know a another writing. Yeah, I know another thing that happens in campaign 3 is that uh Sam is the cleric so fucking <laughs> Laura is just like come on cleric heal us cleric come on yeah. you're the cleric right because of how much shit Sam gave her when she was a cleric because Laura does not heal as a cleric yeah but that's that's and Sam is under the misunderstanding that that's all clerics do
1: no that's true but you know it's better that understanding than um, to reference the adventure zone Merle Merle who
0: doesn't Owen know of how truth. to truth. I love Merle, but he does not know how to heal. <laughs> uh, but no, Laura Bailey's approach to
1: clerics and healing in general is more that it is better to do damage to you because they're likely to just wipe out all the, da- all the health you just healed. Yeah. So better to uh, kill them fast than to yep. um, let them Let them have a turn.
0: Talison has a better healer mentality than Laura does.
1: Yeah. I I mean, Uh, after, you know, certain events, she starts changing that healer mentality a bit.
2: hmm,
1: But never quite... Never quite to the same extent as Caduceus.
0: I just like Jester because she's not the typical cleric. Yeah. Neither is Caduceus, though, to be fair.
1: He's not the typical cleric. I mean, Pike is the...
0: Like is a typical cleric.
1: Typical cleric with a side of fun to her. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, he... of the Grave, I think, is probably one of the best healing clerics in the game. Like, in D&D 5th edition.
0: Yeah, Grave Cleric is very good. I...
1: Especially their ability at later levels to nullify natural 20s.
0: Or the thing where if you're healing somebody from zero, it's like, you get the full amount. yeah. That that ability is insane. Beacon of Hope That's is also
1: hope. way too good for
0: Yeah. You just received max healing.
1: Great. Like
0: Yeah. Don't paladins only get that. Not Un- unless spell. you're Okay, I, I knew that it was um grave clerics got it as a thing they always had, but I didn't know clerics always got that spell.
1: I could be wrong. I know some clerics have access to it.
0: I know paladins get it. Yeah. Uh I mean that make that that's a spell that does make sense for paladins.
2: <sighs>
0: um, I am kinda sad we never got to see much of um Vex. She's a ranger, but she doesn't cast that many spells.
1: No, she never cast that too, too many spells either in uh in game.
0: Hmm. That's kind of a pity. Yeah.
1: She's always just more Is of a Rangers... strip and um you see it in the uh fight with the armored suits where like she multiplies her arrows and stuff
0: yeah she does a couple things but like it's because it's same because some of the cool there's some really cool spells that rangers get uh there's some stuff that i'm like i'm looking forward to like definitely seeing um it is so strange to me that like that this is the first... Even though this is an official license, this is the first, like, real D&D thing in terms of, like, other media, like, an- like animated media other than like, the original show that we've ever gotten. hmm Especially considering how popular D&D is, now you would think that Wizards of the Coast would want to try and, like, market an official licensed D&D show. Yeah, it's kind of shocking that like,
1: they haven't really gone to. I, And I have a feeling... And I'm hoping that this is going to kind of kickstart more of that.
0: Um, oh, yeah, no. I, I would love, like, I don't know how you would do it. Like, do you do, you do the, the old show where it's, like, more of a meta thing where, like, you're trapped in the game? Or is it, like, do you, make, do you take some of the canon characters that are in some of the pre-established adventures and adapt it? Do you adapt some of the books? Like, do you adapt, like, the Dritz books? Or, you know, there's a lot of options. That's the great thing about it, because just like
1: playing D anD D, they could go so many different ways about it. They could, they'll probably start with the Forgotten Realms, but they could always go to, over to Everon, Dragonlance, Ravenloft. Like, they've yeah, got that route um, to just move around. Hell, you yeah, what, what of, would be a great way to do it is to center it around like Spelljammer somehow.
0: Yeah, there's there's options. There's
1: there's a lot of options. So quite shocking yeah. that yeah we haven't seen that.
0: Um, Especially like something like an adaptation of the Drift books, considering how popular those were. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Um, the the and speaking of Dragonlance, uh, this is getting to the Easter eggs. thing. one of the <laughs> Easter eggs I noticed was fucking Gilmore straight up just summoning one of the Dragonlances. Yeah, one
1: of the Dragonlances. From, His one of the Dragonlances just loaded full, with... full of them.
0: Yeah, there's a, a stuffed, uh, fucking, what's his name? Red the parrot. The Sprinkle. Sprinkle. uh tusk glove is there. That's the most obvious one. And it's got, uh, fucking Ford and, uh. Jester uh, on it. Jester, Jester on it. Because that's just, yeah, that's we what also, it was
1: originally. are or very similar.
0: We also, we also do see that Pike did, in fact, buy it and is reading it later. Yep. Yeah. Which is very funny. Um, you know what was the deepest cut, though, that was in Gilmore's shop? What, what do you think is the deepest cut? The deepest cut is that there is a glass case Mm -hmm. with a sandal.
1: Gary Gygax's sandal.
0: Gary Gygax's sandal. For those... Okay.
1: Um, Somebody... One of the heads at Titmouse had that sandal for a year.
0: Yeah, so for those who don't know, when Gary Gygax was making Dungeons & Dragons, he wasn't doing it as a living for a long time. And when he wasn't doing it for a living, he was doing it on the side. He was a cobbler. And when... uh, he was in the middle of sort of like D&D being licensed and whatnot, and when he actually started finally making enough money for D&D to be his job, he was in the middle of a commission, and he decided to stop halfway through that commission, which was a two sandals. And the one sandal is the last shoe that he ever made, which is called Gygax's sandal.
1: I believe yeah, that is Chris Pronowski won it in a bid, shortly before production began.
0: That is the, the that 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 was the deepest cut of any of them.
1: I'd, yeah, I'd agree with that sandal being pro- the deepest cut. Um, if you don't uh, know, then, like, like I know, it know it it specifically. specifically. Um, yeah. Right next to the sandal is a skull.
0: However, the, the looks like bow.
1: You think it looks like bow?
0: It looks. It's got like the hair. I guess a little haircut. bit.
1: Um, it's more, I think, it, what my understanding is, it's more of a reference to another thing that's going to be cut. In which, um, shortly after the Chroma Conclave arc started, they had found this skull that was promising to grant them any wish that they wanted. Mm. And so there was a lot of arguing about um, using this skull to you know, get rid of the dragons. Ah. Uh. Um, the original skull was, or the skull was actually a gift Yankee, um, trapped inside of it. And whoever made a wish on it would have had their soul swapped with the gift Yankee. And, uh, a team of gift, sorry, would have started hunting the party if they had made the wish.
0: Nice. So, uh, it's...
1: for the best okay. of that, 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 they never made the wish on that. And that's just what? one of those things that's going to be cut because
0: just, It doesn't add anything to the overall story. You know what I want a reference to so badly? What's that? Do you know about the head of Vecna? Yes. I want a reference to the head of Vecna.
1: I'm sure we'll get that eventually. For for those
0: who don't know, so in D&D, Vecna has two artifacts associated with them, the eye and the hand. And to actually use these artifacts, you have to pluck out your real eye to use the eye, and chop off your own real hand to use the hand. Uh, so, as sort of like a joke, one DM was with a group of very experienced players who were well-versed in the lore and made a artifact called the Head of Vecna, uh, which the uh, the group found, and found it was like, oh, this thing is kind of evil, and it is magic. And it was like, they assumed it was the, and then the DM was like, oh yeah, the it's the head of Vecna. But you have to chop off your own head. And so one of the players was stupid enough to actually get his own head chopped off. And of course it didn't work. <laughs> Very fucking funny. Uh, other things that are kind of obvious are like, Matt Mercer is in every single episode. Which somewhere. he did
1: not know about until they started showing them the animation.
0: Yeah, he's he's somewhere in every episode. If you look hard enough, you'll see a little Matt Mercer somewhere. I think
1: my favorite is one of the race in episode four. Um, yeah, yeah. Looks like him. weren't
0: they originally weren't they invisible stalkers in the original campaign? Yep, yep.
1: Hmm. something along those lines.
0: By the way, that scene, fucking metal.
1: Ah. Uh. Just
0: I mean this whole this whole show is metal, but that scene in particular.
1: They had so many beats. Like it's a fairly solid like it's a fairly different moment from the original. Um but man, they hit it so well. Especially with like, yeah. you know, Keila figuring out Sunbeam.
0: Mm-hmm. Just, I think technically Sunbeam was against Briarwood, but what she did in the race fight was um, Dawn.
1: Dawn, true.
0: Yeah. Still, I think it, that was it was specifically it's leading Dawn.
1: into that overall throughout her.
0: Mm-hmm. That thread, yeah. I think she's For actually sure. going to be
1: one we see the biggest change of up in like how her story arc is going to go. Because mm-hmm. in like in the original campaign, she's going to each of like the Ashari tribe and completing a trial there. Well, right. That just, I don't think it's going to work for any of the pacing that they're going to want to do. So, mm. they're going to continue, I think, to do more stuff like this. As, like, her, you know, her trials and completing her aramente. Right. Though man, I do hope that they get to the water, Shari. There's some neat stuff in there.
0: Mm. Um. The, uh... There's some other stuff I noticed, like, straight up percy having like an anime i'm about to snap moment
1: he is anime boy he is the anime boy
0: he is the anime boy
1: Uh, he he
0: still does a naruto run in one scene
1: yeah he does a naruto run he does the glasses thing
0: The, the glasses thing like his
1: his intro in the opening is just the most anime
0: yeah and then you have uh what's another thing i noticed uh Oh, yeah, the troll dick. Yeah. I do know about the troll dick. Uh, then there's... um God, what else was there that I remembered? Uh... Mm. I, don't... I think those were, like, the main ones that I really noticed. Um... Uh, any other ones that I might have missed, are just because I'm not as familiar with Campaign One?
1: I mean, there's just so much; it's loaded everywhere.
0: Yeah. Um, oh, um, something. Yeah. The
1: uh, there is a dice in every single episode. Ah. Um, oh, there's that. There is that one in the shape scene of a where, at least. I I have caught that them one all, scene. but I've seen a few. Yeah, I, I think there, the most notable is, that... is when they get caught in Gilmore's shop, and it could. Catch, catches them in like uh, eight sided die.
0: Yeah, yeah. There's that one scene where Scanlan is like going through the thing, and like he runs into that uh, room where they're just playing D anD.
1: d Yeah, roll to hit.
0: Roll to hit. I really uh,
1: talked about Scambo like that episode being like very tonal whiplash.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It almost got cut because they could they were having trouble with like figuring out exactly where to put it. But, like, it's mm-hmm. also, again, one of the other favorite moments from Campaign 1. Because him polymorphing into a Triceratops and rampaging throughout the place is just... Iconique. I, it's iconic. Like, yeah, it's great. It's one of our, like, favorite moments. And in the original, um, Lord uh, Vermeier doesn't get as much, like, one-on-one action with them. Because you know mm. he's running around setting everything afire fire, and Vermaire just can't catch up. So I, I think they did the right decision of like making this guy more imposing and catching up with him, just made for a better action scene all around.
0: Yeah, that's another example of like not following the canon can like leads to more satisfactory things from a narrative perspective.
1: It can lead to more satisfying. It, it's that it's that idea and philosophy of what is the essence of what we want to do here? Like, this worked in a game that's, you know, three hours long as we watched an hour of it be Scanlan. You can't work that into Mm -hmm. 22 minutes out of 12 episodes. But what what, what is the distilled essence of what made that work? Well, it's Scanlan fighting a horde of others and being clever. And chaotic. And
0: just bumble-fucking his way... Into like actually pulling it off, yeah. Um, one of the other, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I said just, yeah, for sure. Um,
1: one of the changes I think one of the most stress because you know, there's quite a few changes. Um, Jared originally is a guard hired by Vox Machina, not a city guard. Hmm. Um, so that's a change that I'm not quite sure how it will pay off because he plays a minor, but decent role later on that I have a feeling mm. is just going to get a bit diminished but that's that's fine I think probably for the best um yeah Archibald though however was a very minor like bit bit character that they first met in town He was more of an exposition mm. person and I think right. the idea to make him uh Percy's like childhood friend and leader of the um revolution works a lot better especially as like a focus for like Getting Percy to lead,
0: yeah, that makes sense you want to
1: give him a like, nice personal connection to that. Yeah, and
0: just that makes sense.
1: Yeah, that was really good. It was a shame to see him go chopped in half, though.
0: Yeah, fucking cool anime sword samurai moment. Yeah, passed by each other and just like shing, slid in half and his guts spilled everywhere. Fucked up, man. Um. Oh, you know what? I did remember another reference. Mm-hmm. Uh and that was the um when Vax is sneaking around the uh the castle and he has the snake the the, the belt. Snake has the snake has an eye patch. Yep. Which is a reference to both Solid Snake and also a snake Pliskin from Escape from New York.
1: Yep. Um And yeah, uh, he originally lost that belt in that moment because they got kicked out of the castle before he could get it back. Oh, that's a shame. Yeah. Oh, uh, uh, man, speaking of that castle in that moment is mm. that moment where he's cornered by the Briarwoods. And he goes, boy, mm-hmm. you're a handsome couple.
0: Yeah, just, yeah. By disaster. And, Like and lo And Briarwood is just like... Like, uh, Silas is just like, yeah, no, all right. just do the charm. Do the do the vampire charm.
1: Do the vampire charm. Uh, and leading up into that moment, it's again, I think... One of our first... Like, okay, obviously, we already knew that they're not normal when they were introduced mm-hmm. by killing the guards. Uh, those bandits, yeah. actually. Um, but if you watch, when they pass by the mirror, Silas doesn't show up.
0: He doesn't have a reflection. He doesn't nope, have no. a
1: reflection.
0: Now, okay, you want to know what... I'm going to fucking, one of those things, I'm going to, how I would want to word this. There is a thing that happens sometimes, especially when you're a creative, when somebody else who's a creative, does something, and it's like so good that it makes you mad you didn't do it. Mm Mm-hmm. The thing that I'm thinking of, so like this is, I need to lead up to this. So, for those who don't know, um, Vecna is an anagram of Jack Vance. Uh, Because Jack Vance wrote a novel series where the idea of Vancean magic was introduced, aka the spell slot system, the whole like memorizing spells. So, and it became to be known as Vancy and magic. And also, in those books, uh, there is an artifact, which is a crystal eye, that grants you a bunch of, like, super powerful magic, and then it has a bunch of trapped un- souls inside of it. So, basically, Vecna is, like, Jack Vance. And, is n- and Vecna's name is an anagram of Vance. So, because Vecna's name is an anagram... A fucking, uh... Vance. Uh... I'm trying to remember exactly what the, uh... The, the, the anagram what The other anagram was. It was, um... Matt Mercer decided that he would also pull a fucking anagram. And this is more of, like, not just this show, but just campaign one. Uh... With Craven Edge. Uh-huh. Because Craven Edge is an anagram of Vecna Greed. Mm-hmm. And I'm... That I... Mm, I'm mad. Mad about that. <laughs> Makes... Oh. I'm mad at how clever that is.
1: I'm so glad that we have, like, we got Craven Edge in here.
0: Well, I mean, it's super. it's super important later, isn't it?
1: It is. Uh, and Brock also, that, that's how he... Well, he's taking a shit.
0: Yeah, it's also... Craven Edge is also sort of very similar to... Um, there's another sword. Fucking um, what's it called? Uh, Black Razor. From uh, a very famous uh, old D&D mojo called... Uh, Adventure on... White Plume Mountain. And then it is, it is a black blade with a personality and it devours souls. Yep. yep. So Craven Edge was very much inspired by Black Razor.
1: Oh absolutely.
0: Oh my okay, no, I just remembered something. I'm I'm gonna make a real deep pulling it from the vast knowledge. Um, so there's another sword that also references Black Razor and another thing. Um there is a comic called goblins mm-hmm. and that comic is sort of like a deconstruction of D and it's like a, like at first it starts off as like a comedy like gag thing about like D jokes and like it's just from the perspective of a bunch of goblins who are living in a village but eventually it starts to become like about a group of goblins uh and this sort of like deconstruction of the racism towards certain types of creatures in D&D, like goblins and ogres and stuff like that. And it's just from their perspective. And there's a character in Goblins who is a fighter with, like, who who has really good stats, but no intelligence. And his name is (sighs) Minmax. Oh, God. And later on in the story... He gets a sword that um, creates a blade of like, uh, like it's sort of like a sort of an, like a sphere of annihilation type of thing, where it's like it makes like abyss, like a a, an ob, an, a a plane of oblivion as a blade, and it's powered by your stupidity, and and so because it is an abyssal blade powered by his stupidity. He calls the sword, Oblivious. Oh, that's great! <laughs> Goblins is Goblins is really good. Anyone who, if you haven't read Goblins, go read Goblins. Goblins is great. Um, but anyway, uh, I think I don't think I have much more to say about uh, this show. This was all this show was all fun. I'm looking forward to the next season.
1: Okay, um, here I go. <laughs> I'll keep it, I'll try to keep it short. Well, Go on. Obviously, Delilah and Silas, p- power couple, like, of the mm. fucking century.
0: Absolute power couple. You're Evil fake, power couple. never,
1: who sells their soul to bring their dead husband back? Not yours, that's for sure. Like, I this is the love world for gone you. wrong, and I am here for it.
0: What was the thing? I broke the world for you?
1: Yes, I broke the world for us. Like yeah, mm mm, delicious. Also, uh, for you, campaign two, Delilah Bryant not the worst person to get kicked out of um the uh, the council of mages out there. In that campaign, huh?
0: You don't say. You don't.
1: Well, the worst, the only one to get kicked out, but uh, some of the other ones are not great either. When you're
0: kicked out of a group of wizards who are unscrupulous, I think, yeah.
1: Yeah, you, you get some marks for that. Um, but also just because of a connection to Vecna, bringing back Silas was like, she had to leave to go do this thing. Um, yeah. That'll pay off later. Um, quite a few notes on animation here. One of my oh, favorite yeah, facts is Trinket, which I'm sad he didn't get more of a part. Uh, Like, he didn't do much in the original campaign. And four-legged creatures are notoriously hard to animate. Yeah. He is just a bigger, fluffier horse in terms of animation. Makes sense. And the the artists hate him. But also love him. Because look at him.
0: Yeah, I mean, you can see this with, like, the dragons. Like, the dragons are CG because making a... Creature with like that many limbs move around and and make it look good is hard.
1: Uh oh, very much so. It was, and then we get to that wagon chase scene.
0: god Where originally one of the
1: original designs for like those undead wolves so was a lot more twisted, but they're like, no, we're already doing too much. We have to tone it back here. Um,
0: because that was a great they were, scene They were really cool looking.
1: They were really cool looking. Also, that was an entirely new addition because that was not in the original campaign. Huh. Um, mostly because they didn't get the book like that, so they didn't really get, like, you know, the plans. Mm. Um, and it was just more of a standard travel thing where the horses got eaten by harpies. Um, huh. It made more sense to, say, like, you know, mill the connection, have the antagonist harass them. Um... One of the other next really like major animation points is the is the uh, zombies. Um, there's not a duplicate among them. Each zombie is unique.
0: That's fucked up.
1: Yes, that is fucked up. Um, they said they never wanted to see another zombie after that. Which you know what? Valid. And also, they I had mean, a, 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 okay when, like, when the cast was talking with, like, with the, crew, like, okay, so there's, at least there's no armies in this, right? And then they went, uh, so about that.
0: About that. There's a
1: horde. Not an army, but there's a horde. Um. Mm -hmm. One of the other cool things, I think, is, in the fight sounds so typically, uh, I, I'm not sure you know, but for the audience, you might not. Typically, when a voice actor records, they include a bunch of, like, yeah, ho, hi, we are, fight sounds.
2: And
1: yeah, yeah, just like kind just, of, you know, repeat yeah. and reuse that as they go. Yeah. Here, because this is one of the benefits of being a creator-owned and controlled thing, is, yes, okay, they recorded all those typical fight sounds, and they used that, like, in the initial designs. but once the animation was put into, like, was finished they went back and had them react to as like react to the action as they were fighting so there's mm. no repeated um there's no repeated fight sounds it is all like mm. unique to as like each scene neat which is really cool and one of the, like that's really only so, something you can inc- do when you have your own creative control
0: you have full control yeah that that is insane actually yeah
1: like you cannot get you cannot do this under anybody else. No. Um one of the great benefits of this Yeah. There's so many great animations and just the animation mm-hmm. in this series is just phenomenal. Like
0: Yeah, it's, it's it up it there with the like here. It's up there with Titmas's best work, like in, in stuff like Motor City and stuff.
1: And yeah, it just uh oh, blows me away. Um one of the fun facts is one of the art designers um Arthur uh, what's his name I I have it up here somewhere um shoot what why can I not see it where did I put this Oh, Arthur Loftus was one of the mm. original 888 eight, one of the 88,887 backers, which I think is really cool. Jeez. That also that number also really pisses me off. Yeah, because one more person, we could have had 88,888 backers, and that makes me mad. So close, we could have had it all. So close, we could have had it all. And it all. not Alright. I think then this let's what is your favorite episode? And then what is your favorite like scene or moment in general?
0: Uh I think my favorite episode Hmm that's a good question. Trying to think. Like individual episode uh I don't know, because it's all very, like... It's close together. Yeah, it's all close together. It's all, like, one... Like, after a certain point, it's all, like, one long, continuous story arc. Because, like, unlike... There's not a lot of, like, specific standalone stuff. Um, but... If I had to pick one... It's probably... The tide of bone.
1: Okay, yeah. Uh, when, yeah, when, yeah. that's a that's a really you know, good When one.
0: Pike shows back up again. Uh by the way, there's a really great edit of that scene where it's the, the scene is exactly the same except the music is I need a hero. Yep, I've seen that it, video, it's,
1: it's
0: great. It's like mm, 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 mm. To mm Top notch. You understood the assignment. You understood the assignment. Uh as for favorite moments, um, I really, really did love that scene where Keyleth talked about the blow, accidentally blowing the, the, the regard to love and just goes, shh, quiet, quiet, shh, shh, shh. quiet. <laughs> yeah, that's a great moment. Everybody's just like, wow, that's fucked up.
1: That's fucked up.
0: Oh, God. Uh, yeah, that, and then that, and it, it's you know what? Actually, I think my favorite scene uh, is probably when Percy uses bad news against the giant. Yeah. Just boom. <laughs> Fucking yeah, sick as yeah. shit.
1: What about you? Um. Okay. Favorite episode. It's a, probably a toss-up between Scambo and the Tide of Bone, mm-hmm. because I do just love. Well, both moments of um, Scanlan's, you know, breaking in distraction is just, it's, it's so much fun to watch. Yeah. But also the other crew, like breaking, like, breaking into the house and Grog going, oh, come on. Everybody's like, what if it's a trap? And he's like, oh, Grog's like, oh, what if? And knocks the door down. And then there's just all those archers there, like, oh, look, it's a trap.
0: Who would have guessed?
1: It's just gleeful, like, again, one of those moments... Slightly changed from the original campaign, but works great here. Not everything's a, where he just has a lot of fun with
0: not it. Not everything's a trap.
1: Not everything's a trap, but this one certainly was. Yep. And then you know, leading to oh, seeing Cassandra and then having her throat like having her killed by uh, Professor Anders. She who at, who was one of Matt's favorite characters to play because he got to have a bard to use against the barbarian
0: mm.
1: which is a lot of fun
0: yeah when you get to mind um, to mind
1: control the barbarian it's always fun and then i think i really like the moment where Aquila heals cassandra because it just really shows the difference like they really they really did a lot of work to like make the difference between kila pike and scanlan stand out yeah which i really enjoyed um and then favorite moment. Oh. I think the entire just the entire fight at the Ziggurat. Yeah. I like, yeah. There's so many like just all the fight scenes and like all their blending and Vax versus Vex. As like these two know each other so well as they're just fighting and she's using the like sh- like the, um, the bow. Bow to like wrap around his wrist and stuff. Yeah, I, I really like that. And just the shit. Physicality. I of like it. that
0: bit where Bri would. Another anime thing that I really like when someone punches someone so hard it makes like a shockwave, and just sends yeah sends Grog flying.
1: I like Grog's like if I don't know
0: where I'm swinging
1: neither to you moment. I mean that's he's correct. Yeah, or Delilah just casting um silence on Scanlan yeah, like,
0: shush. and just shh man like. That's how, that, that's how you stop a bar. Sil- no, that's how you stop a caster, period.
1: That is how you stop a caster, when period.
0: When you cast silence. But especially a bar. When you cast silence, and then every caster in the party realizes how many spells have verbal components. <laughs> the other thing is when you take away their hands and they realize how many... Uh... Spells have thematic somatic components?
1: Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, honorable Mention goes to Keyless Icewall.
0: Wall. Uh, it was a Cone of Cold, uh... wasn't it?
1: Yes, I, I think
0: it, well, Conan Cold, the Wall of Ice. It's it looked like a like a really high level cast of Conan Cold. Um, Pike's entrance.
1: Yeah, because we, as we already discussed, you know, fucking cool
0: as shit. Did did, um, did like the reference to Pike's constant astral projection? Because she's always away from blind spot. Yeah.
1: So glad though that she gets to be with the cast full time now because she's just a fucking poop yeah yeah um but also that moment where because they made some changes to vax's and Keila's romance oh where she like he's like you know i love you and she's like now with the zombies are you kidding yeah. me <laughs> yeah of all times of all times yeah <laughs> which is great and, yeah, uh, uh, in the campaign, like, this was their first, like, he had been, like, hinting at it, like, throughout both the home game and, like, leading up to that moment in stream mm-hmm. that, you know, he had, he had feelings for her, and then uh, they kissed there, and, yeah, her death at the end was originally um, Vex, if I remember correctly. Interesting. So, that's a, that's a bit of a change. It's a shame that um, Kilo's first death is not as a goldfish jumping off a cliff, but... <sighs> Still one of my favorite moments in any d and
0: I'll never, I, there are very few moments that I do know from campaign one and that is one of them. And it is
1: I so fucking. I was watching that live and then like, I was having, waiting on a friend to come in and then like, they come in and it's like, what's happening? I'm like, Kila's dead. She's like, what? It's only been 15 minutes. How did she like, die? Yeah. What happened? She jumped off a cliff. And that uh,
0: everybody was like, "What the?" The, fuck the, the bit like, where it's like,
1: and the hubris of right before of her going, "What could go wrong?" We're basically golden
0: gods. I can't, no, the wouldn't fucking Marisha. is like, "Wouldn't I have like turned into a bird?" And Matt was like, "You have to tell me you're turning into a bird." I told you you were heading towards the rocks. I don't like. Um, like I don't know why she didn't just turn into a bird. Like at any, she
1: thought she was gonna hit the water, like I and mean, she thought she was more waterward than rock. No, word.
0: but uh, but like also like when she cast gust of wind, that moment where she did that, she could have just turned into a bird. Yeah, she could have just turned into a bird. Like I don't. <laughs> just turned into a bird. Uh oh, Or you could have turned into like uh. a cockroach, and like just fallen because a cockroach wouldn't take in damage from that because it's a fucking cockroach because of how mass works god
1: uh anyway love keyless and then last honorable mention because i i we do need to stop and i could talk about fucking voxmox and Kirkcal all critical yeah long. I mean, yeah yeah it is the final episode where, like, the names on Percy's gun start, like, turning into his party members and stuff. Mm, yeah. And that's really good. And I remember in the original campaign, in the original wrap-up, um, it, they both, Matt and Taliesin, had had the exact same idea that the gun would just keep getting new names over and over for all time. Mm-hmm. Like, independently of each other. And they didn't, like, realize that until, like, they were talking. It's like, wait, you had that idea? Yeah. You had that idea? Yeah. Huh. Wild. Yeah. Because it's just one of those ideas that just, you know, a revenge narrative. This just makes sense. Yeah.
0: In another time, in another place, uh, Percy would have been a vengeance paladin.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, you could actually make an argument for an A.U. of vengeance paladin.
0: Mm-hmm. another time, another place. Oh. Oh boy. That's what... Anyways. Yep. After recording a length
1: episode of Critical Role, I think we can go that, yeah, that. So that's that's the
0: show. Um if you enjoyed the show, please uh leave a comment, leave some sort of feedback wherever you're listening to this, uh rate and review us. It's greatly appreciated. Um if you want to get in touch with the show, you can email us at Podcast uh at @gmail.com. Scarlett, can you get me that again? That's acmepodcast at gmail.com. No, it's acmepodcast, at gmail.com, I bet. Acme Podcast, uh, yeah, I was wondering. You were
1: saying it. I'm like, Acme wait
0: Listen, Isn't it Inc.? This, listen, this is my this is the first time properly hosting. Um, it's acmepodcast, Inc. at gmail.com. Podcast Inc. at gmail.com. Um, acmepodcast, Inc. at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at at Inc. Podcasts. That's I-N-C-P-O-D-C-A-S-T-S uh, S, at Inc. Podcasts. Uh, you can also find us on Tumblr at at tumblr.com That's acme podcasts.tumblr.com If you want to send in feedback other than where you're listening to this, uh, you can also send us an email at the email and or, and or DM us on the Twitter and or send in an ask on the Tumblr. Uh, Laser has the email. So I cannot check the email, but I assume that if we ever get any messages, he will relay them to me before the episodes. And there are no asks. So that being said, for now, uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. And next week, uh, KP is going to be on, and me and KP are going to be talking about the Lego show Monkey Kid, and probably get real deep in the paint on Journey to the West. Real deep. Real deep in the. Face. If you think I like box
1: mocking and critical Role, wait until KP gets into uh,
0: Journey to the West. Yeah, no KP. If there are if there are things that KP likes, it's Lupin, uh, Journey to the West, and uh, Sonic. Yeah. yeah, those those are like I mean, there's other things, but like those are the three things I think of first when I think of KP.
1: Absolutely, Lupin and Journey to the West
0: are the first things I think of when it comes to KP. But uh, we hope you enjoy the show. We'll see you next time. And stars. Hmm? And stars. And stars. So we hope you enjoyed the the show. We'll see you next time. Bye.
1: Bye.